Um, and today's scripture reading is actually going to come from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. La escritura de hoy viene del libro de Efesios, capítulo 1, versículo 7 al 10. And you can follow along in your Bibles, in your apps, or on the projector right behind me. We're going to have uh, God's Word displayed as well. And I'll be reading the scripture for us in Spanish, and then our sister Sandra will read for us in English but the scripture will be from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians 1, 7 al 10. And let's prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from the word of God with open ears. I'll read first in Spanish, and then we'll read in English. Ephesians capítulo 1, versículo 7 al 10. En él tenemos la redención mediante por su sangre, el perdón de nuestros pecados conforme a las riquezas de la gracia que Dios nos dio en abundancia con toda sabiduría y entendimiento. Él nos hizo conocer el misterio de su voluntad conforme al buen propósito que de antemano estableció en Cristo para llevarlo a cabo cuando se cumpliera el tiempo. Esto es reunir en él todas las cosas tanto las del cielo como las de la tierra. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll be reading out of Ephesians 1, 1 through 10, NIV version. Amen. And the word of God says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heaven, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Verse 8, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just come before you today and... We bring to you our real selves, Lord, our real selves before a real God. Meet us, Lord, in our questions. Meet us in our anxiety. Meet us in our loneliness, Lord. And God, we pray that you would comfort us today. Comfort us, Lord, in a way that only you can. Lord, minister to us. Teach us something new. Help us all remember that we're here for a reason. We're here because of your grace, because of your providence, Lord, 
because of your plan for our lives. We're here for purpose, God. It's not by accident that we're gathered here this morning to hear this specific word, Lord. So we pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak to us in a way that is clear, in a way that is direct, God. Continue to draw us near to you. Move us toward you, Lord, in redeeming us and restoring us, Lord, by your power and your love, God. We entrust this time to you. In the faithful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm so glad for all of us that have been on this journey here at Imago Church. Uh, For some of us, we've been here since the early days as we gathered for Bible study in our home, in our family home. Uh, For others, we've come at different points. We've actually now been in morning worship since September 2018, and we have been gathering just for around God's Word and around worship since the beginning of 2018. So we're now, uh, 2019 was the first full calendar year that we were together in worship, and we're just excited about the different milestones that we have been hitting together as a community and where God continues to take us as a church family. And in those early days, as we were gathering in my home, in our family home, to really just discern what God's will would be for Imago Church, one of the books that we opened together and began to just uh, read with open hearts and open minds was actually the book of Ephesians. And as we were reading through Ephesians, we really just prayed and said, Lord, would your will be done And as we were discerning even through a name for this church, we came to the name Imago Church. Imago, most of you know already, means created in the image of God. Imago is not an English word or a Spanish word. It's actually a word in Latin. It's where we get the English word image from and where we get the Spanish word imagen from. It comes from that root word imago. So we uh, chose that name for a very specific reason, to know that each one of us, no matter what our background or our context may be, we have this in common. We're created in the image of God and for greater purpose as well. And really, uh, as we continue to look in the book of Ephesians, we really came up with the vision and the mission and the call for this church community. And most of you know that this, this church community has a very specific vision and call. And that is this, that God has formed Imago Church to be a gospel-centered, multicultural community where hope is built through restored relationships, through restored relationships with God and restored relationships with each other. And the mission really came right out of that that we would be a church that is good news to this community and good news to each other, that we would be a church that reflects this community and that we would be a church that connects people, people who wouldn't ordinarily be together to gather around the worship of Jesus. And really the driving theme for this vision and mission were the themes of identity and purpose that our identity is in the image of God and that our purpose is in the image of Christ. And a lot of that really just began with opening up this very simple, quick book in the Bible that was so deeply profound and impacting in the life of this church. 
And I'm so glad that this month and this spring, as a church community, we're actually going to be entering into a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. We're going to be on Ephesians all the way through mid-March, and then we'll take a break as we prepare for Easter, and then we'll pick it up again in the fall. And we're going to be studying Ephesians together even in our Tuesday night Bible studies. So please be reading Ephesians in your own devotional time as well. And come on Tuesdays, come on Sundays with your questions, with your insights, with how God is speaking to you and shaping you through this wonderful, simple, but precious book of Ephesians. We actually have done this a couple of times where we've gone through an entire book of the Bible. We did this um, um, maybe two years ago with the Gospel of Mark, where we looked at the Gospel of Mark chapter by chapter, and we looked at the biblical basis for the first part of our vision statement on what it means to be a gospel-centered community, on what it means to be a Jesus-centered community. And then, many of you remember, last year we went through the entire book of Acts in order to look at the second part, the biblical basis of the second part of our vision on what it means to be a multicultural community. And as we opened up the book of Acts, we saw that a multicultural community was not just a nice, fun thing that we wanted to be, but a multicultural community is actually a picture of God's family. From the very beginning, from the early church, that's the way it was. It's a picture of the kingdom of God, people of different tribes, languages, contexts coming together to worship Jesus. And beginning today and through the spring and fall, we're going to be focusing on and digging deep into the book of Ephesians in order to look at the biblical basis for the third part of our vision statement, which is hope through relationships. We're going to look at Ephesians to teach us what exactly this means, that we have restored hope through relationships, that we are now restored to God and restored to each other. So I'm really excited that we're going to have the opportunity to dig deep during this spring and this fall on just this one book, and we're going to actually go through every single verse of the book of Ephesians together as a church community. But before we go deep into what the book of Ephesians talks to us about, let's talk for a second about who wrote the book of Ephesians. So some of us may already know, but the writer of the book of Ephesians was an early Christian leader by the name of Paul, or the Apostle Paul. And Paul was actually born on or approximately the year 5 AD. So that means that Paul was alive when Jesus was was here on earth as well. Paul was just a few years younger than Jesus. He was actually in his late 20s when Jesus died and rose again. So he was a young adult, like some of the young adults here in our church. And actually, Paul was in his early 30s when he had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus that we read about in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. And in fact, we actually did a sermon on Paul's conversion, um, and it's online, so you can go back and listen to that as well. But one thing to note about Paul that is so important is that he is such a key figure in the Bible. Paul actually wrote most of the New Testament. And the role that the Apostle Paul played in the spread of the gospel is a role that cannot be overstated. 
He was a missionary and he took the gospel to different parts of the world and he wrote letters to some of the earliest churches that ever existed. Um, it was in the fall of 2019 that we actually did a teaching series on Paul's missionary journeys. It was a teaching series that we called Multipliers based on Acts chapter 20 to 28. So you can go back and learn about Paul and his missionary journeys. All of that is available online as well. And this book that we're studying together is called Ephesians for a particular reason. Sometimes we can see books in the Bible and just think, well, you know, they, that's just the name and I have no idea why and I don't need to know why. And that's a good attitude of faith, but the book of Ephesians also has a reason for its name. And it's actually called Ephesians because it was written to the Christians in a place called Ephesus. So similarly, if Paul would have written a letter to Christians in Visalia, then that letter would have been called Visalians. Or if he would have written to Christians in California, the book would have been called Californians. Imagine that in the Bible, right? Or if it would have been written to Christians in the U.S., the United States of America, the book would have been called Americans, right? But this book is called Ephesians because it was written to the Christians in Ephesus. And the book of Ephesians was, is dated, was written around the year 62. So that's just a, a, a little bit less or more, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul probably wrote his letter to the Ephesians while he was under house arrest in Rome. And as we look through Ephesians, there are actually two main themes in this book. Two main themes that actually have to do with God's dreams. Yes, even God has dreams. God has God-sized dreams. And He reveals those dreams in the book of Ephesians. And the first is this. God's first uh, God-sized dream that he reveals in the book of Ephesians is just is this. First, it's that Jesus Christ has restored all of creation to himself. Because of Jesus, all of creation and all of humanity is now restored back to God. That's the first God-sized dream. That's the first major theme in the book of Ephesians. And then the second God-sized dream, the second major theme in Ephesians, is that Jesus Christ has united people from all nations to himself and to one another. He's united people of different backgrounds, different contexts, to make a new people, a new humanity, a new family that is called the church. The church, which is the family of God. So we see here in the book of Ephesians something very fascinating. Where God actually really does pour out his heart. He talks about his big dreams, his God-sized dreams. And he even talks about his love for his family. We see in the book of Ephesians that everyone has a family. Even God. And God's family is called the church. Now, when we talk about the church, or at least as the Bible refers to the church with a big C, we're not just talking about one local church or one type of tradition or one type of music or one type of prayer, but the church with a big C that the Bible talks about is the family of God. It's those who place their faith in Jesus. So let's break this down just a little bit. 
The church, the family of God, is actually made up of Christians. And a Christian is someone who places their faith and their functional trust in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is our Savior. The God that we worship and gather around is the God of all nations and of all languages. I love how we even get glimpses and previews of that here at Imago Church. The Holy Spirit is the one that is the great translator that is able to bring people of different backgrounds, different cultures, different nationalities together into a new family. The Holy Spirit is the great connector, the one who connects us to God and connects us to each other. The Holy Spirit actually helps us to do something very amazing. The Holy Spirit helps us to embrace our own God-given culture, but at the same time, He helps us to celebrate the cultural uniqueness and contributions of our sisters or brothers in Christ. Every single one of us here has a God-given culture, has a God-given background. For some of us, it's even an additional fun. It's a mixed culture, a mixed background, and that's amazing. That's God-given. And really, we see that the Holy Spirit allows us to do that, to embrace our own God-given culture. Some of us here have uh, different heritages here in the U.S. or throughout different parts of the world. I love how in our church we have heritages from North, Central, South America, Africa, Asia, um, different parts of Europe, and different parts of the world as well. Those are all God-given cultures. And in the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually embrace our God-given heritage and at the same time celebrate the cultural uniqueness of our sisters or brothers in Christ. And here's the fascinating thing. As we allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in us, to actually, instead of trying to overtake or try to conform other people to ourselves, when we put on this posture and this attitude of joy, of being able to celebrate uh, and worship God together, even in our uniqueness, guess what? That's a new culture. That's a Jesus culture. That's a new way of being and a new way of living where there doesn't have to just be one dominant person or dominant group or dominant culture that uh, conforms everyone else, but where we can all be gathered around with Jesus at the center. This is who we are, the family of God, a people that think, look, and act different, that reflect the kingdom of God and the values of God. And this is our mission as the family of God. Our mission is to carry on the mission of Jesus. We get to witness the good news of the gospel. We get to be a sent community that's empowered by the Holy Spirit to reflect the kingdom of God. So each one of us actually has this purpose. We can be reflectors in everything that we do here at the church, in our family life, in our work life, we can reflect the kingdom of God. We can reflect the character of God. And that impacts and shapes those around us. And also we see here in the book of Ephesians, I love how Paul opens it up. He says to the saints, to the people of God, in, as for those in Christ in Ephesus. 
So that means that those of us in Christ, those of us in the family of God, we have a new address. And that new address is in Christ. So that means wherever we may be, we belong. We belong somewhere. We're perfectly in Christ. Paul in Ephesians tells us that Jesus Christ is the greatest reflection, the greatest revelation of God to humankind. In Jesus, God self-discloses himself. Basically, if we want to know God, then we must know Jesus. That is part of the major theme in the book of Ephesians. And this is very good news. Because Jesus is alive and well, all are invited to belong and to be a part of God's family. You know, another word that's often used in church is the word faith. Some of us have heard it before, and we don't know exactly what it means, but the book of Ephesians talks a lot about faith and what exactly that means, how we're saved by faith. So what exactly does faith mean? In the book of Hebrews 11:1, 1, we actually see this definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But another definition of faith that I've developed over the years is this, is that faith is the living awareness of God's reality. Faith is the awareness that God has done something that has changed everything. God has bridged the gap, has bridged the separation that was there caused by sin. He's made a way. He's bridged a gap through the cross, through Jesus, to connect us back to himself, to restore that relationship. Faith is awakening and responding to the reality that God became like us so that we could be with him so that we could be a part of God's family. That's part of what we see here in the book of Ephesians. And just to be clear, this good news of God is not an argument, but it's a lot more like an announcement. God doesn't start with a series of premises on why he loves us and concludes that we should also love him as well. No, we can't overcomplicate it. Even the book of Ephesians, this simple book of just uh, uh, short chapters, it doesn't overcomplicate it like this. In fact, I think we all get this. This idea that the gospel message is an announcement, it's not an argument. A lot like the way that love is not an argument, it's actually an announcement. We see God take the actions of love. God takes the initiative. God is actually vulnerable. God is honest. He gives us his whole self. God takes the initiative and says, I love you and I want you to be a part of my family. I've made a way for you. Even when it seemed like there was no way, I've made a way. And God proclaims his love in action through Jesus, through the person and work of Jesus Christ so that those that believe in him would have new life with God, new life that begins here and now. And another special point we see in the book of Ephesians is that this new life with God is not meant to be lived alone, but it must be lived in community. It must be lived within God's family that is called the church. 
that's you, that's me, regardless of how, how old we are or how old this church is or how, how much, whether we're taking our first steps in faith or our next steps in maturity. This remains true. We are not meant to live life alone, but to do life together. And this is a part of the call and the task of the church. It's actually to stand in the middle, to stand in the middle between the divine reality of God and everyday, ordinary human experiences. We, as the people of God, as God's family, as the church, we must stand between things that are seen and things that are unseen. We're actually a family of God, a people of God that actually stands in the space between. The book of Ephesians invites us into this exciting adventure and this beautiful ministry of standing in the gap, of standing in the space between. The realities of God and the ordinary, everyday, sometimes mundane, human realities. We are witnesses to the work of Jesus. We are witnesses to the God-sized dreams that God invites us to in His Word. We're witnesses to this good news, that Jesus has done something to save all humankind and all of creation. We are witnesses that actually provide living evidence to the world that God is good. That grace is not just an idea, but it is something real, and we have experienced it. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. I'm glad that worked. I've done that before, and it doesn't work. It goes the other way around. I've had people just stare at me before. I'll tell you the first time that that actually happened, though, uh, where I learned to do that. I used to be a lot more shy at the pulpit. It was as I was a, uh, a, a young preacher still developing um, how to preach, and I would go around different churches and just guest preach. And I was living in Northern California at the time, and one day I got invited to preach um, at this, this uh, it, when I was living in Oakland, and I got to preach in West Oakland, which if any of you have been to uh, that part of the, st the state, you know that in Oakland, in West Oakland, there's a lot of historical African-American churches. And I got to be a guest speaker at this wonderful historical African-American church. And there was a moment where I just lost my train of thought. And I didn't know what to say. And I stumbled around in my notes. And I actually just drew a blank completely. And then there was this wonderful woman, elderly woman from this historical African-American church, and she just put up her hand and she said, help him, Lord. <laughs> help him, Lord. Give him the words, Jesus. <laughs> help him, Lord. <laughs> and Jesus helped. And in that moment, I just started talking about the grace and the goodness of God. And I said, can I get an amen? And they said, amen. So I've learned through experience, and indeed, this is the good news that we proclaim, that we cry out, that we say amen to. This is the mission and the message of the church, of the people of God. We witness to what God has done in Jesus. God has done something that has changed everything. God has taken an action to save all humankind and all of creation. 
Scripture provides language for this. Sometimes Scripture can't even contain itself. It says phrases like, come and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. At Imago Church, we ourselves are gathered here in worship in order that we may be sent as witnesses to this gospel, to this good news. We ourselves are not the story. We don't exist for ourselves. We are witnesses of the eternal story of God's salvation for all humanity and all of creation in Jesus. That's the God-sized dream that gets revealed in the book of Ephesians. We witness to the story of hope through relationships. That because of what God has done, there is hope through restored relationship. Restored relationship with God and with each other. And this same good news that we're gathered around this morning was actually the same story that was witnessed by a community of early Christians in an ancient city in modern-day Turkey by the name of Ephesus. Ephesus was actually a city that was a, a major trade route from different parts of the world, so there were all kinds of, of uh, backgrounds, ethnicities, heritages that were in Ephesus. And these God-sized dreams, God chooses to reveal them to the people the early Christians in Ephesus. And he still does it today, here and now. He continues to reveal his God-sized dreams, these dreams of restoration, of hope through relationships, of reconciling all people in creation back to God and back to each other. This restoration was actually accomplished through the work of God, we see this in the very first chapter. We see the work of the triune God, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit working together for this God-sized dream. And in fact, we're able to recognize and be a part of this dream when we receive this good news by faith, by faith alone and through grace alone. We're actually going to be talking about this a lot more in, the book, in chapter 2 in a couple of weeks. But as we talked about earlier, faith is the acceptance of what God has done through Jesus. There's another big word that we're going to run into a lot in the book of Ephesians, and that is the word grace. What exactly is grace? Some of you know uh, the answer to that, that yeah, grace is the free gift of God. To us, yeah, from our perspective, that's what grace is. But grace is also the work of God. The work of God is the grace of God. He chose to save us and to restore us back to himself and to each other. The grace of God is the election of God. That's who God chooses to be. And here in this passage, we see that God elected to save us for the sake of sonship and daughtership through adoption. And our lives are meant to be lived as a thank you, as a gratitude to the grace of God, to the work, to the election, to who God chooses to be to us. 
So when we hear about the election and predestination of God, I want us to receive that as good news. That's part of the gospel of God. That's part of the work of God, bringing everything together for His purposes and for His glory. We see here in verses 3 to 7 that were read for us earlier, just a little bit more about this topic. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship and daughtership through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So the first thing I want us to understand together as a church, as a, as a church family and community, is that when it comes to God's election and these big words like predestination, the first thing I want us to understand is that there is nothing to fear. Do not be afraid. This is not like some weird twisted idea of election where, you know, the, the, the goodness and the grace of God only comes to us like a Powerball, you know, lottery or one of those, you know, big jackpots where it's all by luck. No, election is very good news. Predestination, the election of God, that is good news. That is part of the grace of God. It is something to be grateful for. So we need to, in order to understand this clearly in the way that the book of Ephesians puts it, we actually need to shift our thinking about election. Again, it's not just this luck of the draw um, diary where we're just kind of frozen chosen or whatever it may be. No, my friend actually said that he began, one of my good friends and pastoral mentors, he actually gave me an image that helped me understand what God's election is like and what adoption means to sonship and daughtership. And he actually said to me, his name's Josh, and he, he's been a friend and pastoral mentor to me for many years, and he said that he truly began to understand this image of God's election and predestination through adoption when he and his wife actually went through the adoption process of their first two daughters. And for a variety of reasons, they didn't have their, their children immediately, biologically, but their first children were actually two identical twin, precious and smart little baby girls. And they went through the adoption process with them. And um, they later on had a biological child, but their first two were these two adopted identical twin uh, daughters. And Charlotte and I have actually known these two girls since they were about two or three years old and have played a bit of an uncle and auntie type of role in their lives. And it's amazing to think we've known them since they were two or three, but I think they're graduating from high school next year. So <laughs> we may be going to uh, one of their graduations soon or to both of their graduations, and we look forward to that. But the image of God's election is not some random lottery, but we can only understand election and predestination when we understand two of the primary qualities of God. When we understand the love of God and when we understand the grace of God. 
We need to understand both the love and the grace of God in order to understand God's election for the sake of adoption. And the best way that I can explain it is like this. God sees you and me. God sees us just as we are. He sees us in need. He sees us just as we are. And as it's been said before, who we are before God is who we truly are. He sees us sometimes in our hurt. He sees us in our wounds and sometimes with a feeling of not belonging anywhere. He sees us when we feel like orphans without a home. Yet God sees us. And because of his love and his grace, God sees us as we are. And he says, I choose you. I choose you. I elect to be your God. I elect you to be my son or my daughter. I adopt you into my family. I'm giving you a new name in Christ. I'm giving you a new address in Christ. I'm giving you a new beginning and a new birth certificate in Christ. Anyone familiar with the adoption process knows that regardless of the age of the child, when a child is adopted, they get a new birth certificate. Because of Jesus, God gives us a new birth certificate. God sees us and he elects to be God to us. He says, I choose to be God to you. Place your trust in Jesus and because of Jesus, God says, I choose to call you my son or my daughter. I've adopted you. You belong to me. I'm giving you a new identity. I'm giving you a new purpose in Christ. I'm giving you the gift of restoration through hope, of hope through relationship. That's who you are. That's who we are. And this is the beginning of the God-sized dreams that we will be reflecting on in the book of Ephesians. God has restored all of creation and all of humanity back to himself in Christ. And God restores us back to each other in Christ. He elects us. He adopts us. He gives us a new identity, a new name, a new purpose, and a new birth certificate in Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you because with you there are always new beginnings. We thank you, Lord, that some of these things that we can get so caught up in and overcomplicate at times, Lord, sometimes have a relational and love-based solutions, Lord God. We can sometimes try to look at these big concepts in your scripture and try to approach them like we would trying to crack some kind of code, Lord. But really, it comes down to who you are. And you call yourself love, Lord. And you are a God of grace and God of mercy, Lord. 
And Lord, I just pray that today we would be able to have the courage to step in, to step forward in this calling that you have for us, Lord. We are adopted as your sons and as your daughters, Lord. We have been given a new beginning. We have been given a new birth certificate. We've been given a new identity and a new name and a new address, Lord God. And that is all in Christ. Lord, I pray that it would be on that foundation, on that rock, on that truth, in Christ, Lord, that we would be able to lay down the weight of our lives. Thank you, God. Continue to teach us of your God-sized dreams that you'll be revealing to us in this precious book of Ephesians, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.